I have the honor and privilege of introducing our next speaker. Um, so that's Jamie Johnson, if you want to start coming up, Jamie. Um, as we're talking about into the mystery and learning about the ways of God, I would say as long as I've known him, Jamie has been hungry for more of the ways of God and more of Jesus. Um, and that's a hunger that's not limited to himself, but it inspires those around him, me and everybody else who walks with him. Um, he has a relentless pursuit of the ways of God and intimacy with Jesus. And he's a steadfast friend to anyone um, who is engaging in that pursuit along with him. Uh, so I'm so blessed by his friendship and walking with him in the ways we've been able to. And I am excited uh, for the chance for us to hear from him today. Thanks, Pete. Yeah, we'll need a few more stools. We'll need seven and all. So, um, guys, welcome to Atlanta. This unusually, and, and people make fun of me in this group, that this is my favorite like block in the whole world. And I can't explain it. It's because I worked at the mall across the street. And Jesus was just showing up in that time. Kathy and I were separated and struggling, and the Lord would just show up over there in that clothing store and in that mall. And so I just love it. I love the vegetation. There's great shopping. Go check it out. It's wonderful. And uh, so it kind of feels like the group of people that have made me and have invested in me and loved me that you've all come to hang out in my favorite neighborhood. And so it's wonderful. Lunch is on me. No, just kidding. Sorry. I actually felt Kathy kick me under the table, and there's no table. And so. In a few minutes, we're going to have a really group of, uh, a group of really special people come up here uh, that are going to just help us get some glimpses of really what it is to follow Jesus out into the mystery of what he's doing in this community with the idea that it would encourage you guys to turn out to pursuing God into the mystery of what he's doing in your communities as well. And I would just start by saying you can tell a lot about somebody by how they respond to the concept of mystery. And if you hang around with young people or anybody who sometimes might deal with pride, mystery is kind of a cool thing because it means God's unknowable and I can do what I want to do. And there's a way to use mystery that way is like cover for separation, which isn't great. If you are driven by a need for control and security, then mystery just makes you angry. It's just, it's a little weird and you don't like it and you want it to stop. But if you're a person of faith, a person who lives in dependence on the Holy Spirit, a mystery is an invitation into a relational journey with God. And it's where Brother Charles says that we don't get the map, but we do have our hand in the hand of the guide. And um, I, I want to read a quote. We're going to throw it up there because it's, it's just a little longer. It's by John Owen, who is the Puritan theologian. from He was Oliver Cromwell's chaplain. I think this is a great tool for navigating mystery. And this is what he says. Now it is faith only that receives the revelations of the Spirit. Nothing else has to do with them. The mysteries of God are too deep to be fathomed by anything but faith. Reason's line is too short to reach the depths of the Father's love, of the blood of the Son, and the promises of the gospel built therein, in which forgiveness dwells. Men cannot, by their reason merely, launch out into these depths or draw water from these wells of salvation. Reason stands by amazed and cries, 
How can these things be? Reason can but gather cockle shells, like him of old, at the shore of this ocean, offer a few criticisms upon the outward letter, and so bring an evil report upon the land, as did the spies. All it can do is but hinder faith from venturing into it. Their faith cannot go to the bottom of these depths, yet it enters them and finds rest in them. Nothing but faith is suited to rest, to satiate, and content itself in bottomless, unsearchable depths. This is what I looked for, says faith, even for that which is infinite and unsearchable, for I know that there is abundantly more beyond me that I do not comprehend than what I have attained to. I know nothing else will do good to the soul. It's a wonderful quote, right? Following Jesus, our guide, into the mystery requires faith and requires a life in the Holy Spirit. We were filled with the Holy Spirit not just for wonderful worship, but to go with the Holy Spirit into great lives. So I want to begin by saying that I think that the Lord has been preparing us as a people, this group of people, for this moment. The mysteries of God are invitations to wrestle with him, to seek him out just the way a businessman would come back from a trip with a new toy for his daughter hidden somewhere in his three-piece suit. And as he gets home, he gets down on the floor and she has to wrestle him to find it. Uh, Brother Charles stole my verse and I talked to him about it about that, it's it's Proverbs 25.2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter and it's the glory of kings to seek it out. In the 60s, God got down on the floor and he wrestled us away from seeing church as a place or organization into the mystery of seeing churches as people in personal relationships with Jesus and with each other. He led us out into the mystery of what it means to be followers or disciples of Jesus and what it is to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. He taught us the centrality of the gospel of the kingdom and of relationships, friendship, and even covenant friendships. And you guys are a representation of living those things out. We are who we are today because of what he revealed as we wrestled with him then. And today, Jesus, he's at it again. (laughs) We may be tired, but he's at it again. This time, he's leading us out of auditoriums and living rooms, as, as Brother Dow used to talk to us, into loving our neighbors and loving our cities. It's as if he's standing outside our churches or wherever you're meeting, trying to get our attention to show us how we can encounter him, worship him, and follow him into the places and stories that are occurring in your neighborhood, in your marketplace, in your communities. He's trying to show us that the revival we keep saying we're waiting for in here is already happening out there in the hearts of those he's working to bring home. We just have to go find it it's not going to come to us through a newscast tonight. You know, uh, Brother Charles always says we want miracles, but so many of us had miracles early on. Not many of us need miracles, you know. Um, But if you go hang out with people who need miracles, you'll see them. God's not having a bad year. (laughs) As churches in a pluralistic society today, facing a country and culture that do not know Jesus, our response tells us something about our own faith. Will we throw soulish tantrums with a nostalgic eye to the past? Or will we respond by believing in God's word, in the truth of an unshakable kingdom, and in the power of the gospel? We can allow his perfect love to cast out fear and our hearts to fill with an indomitable hope. We can be courageous. Even as we walk into the mystery, there are some things that we already know. Uh, You know, we're talking about mystery, but there are some certainties. Jesus is one. You probably knew that, yeah. His church is the head and not the tail. 
But our role is not to rule as the world seeks to, but to serve as Jesus did. Just as Jesus, the suffering servant, emptied himself to seek and save the lost, we're called to go as missionaries, loving our neighbors, turning off our televisions, and being sent into a dying world rather than cursing it. Authentic churches are called to be in a three-way conversation between the gospel of the kingdom, between your local church, and between our local contexts or communities. In Luke 7, 11 through 17, we get a glimpse of how this is not a new playbook for Jesus, and I'll read the verses. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out, his heart went out to her and said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Jesus went, and his disciples went with him, is what this verse says. Jesus went, and his disciples went with him. He reached a dead, broken world where they were, and he brought life. As a, res as a result, a faithless world was filled with awe and praised God, and their takeaway was that God has come to help his people. So we too are called to follow Jesus by faith out into the mystery, just as the disciples did, to see his kingdom come and his will be done today in our cities. As we engage this conversation between the gospel the church in our local context, we too will see the mysteries of God reveal the glory of God. So with that said, the best way to really demonstrate this conversation is to bring up individuals from our community who we know who are following and, and, and loving Jesus out into touching what he's doing in the community. Um, our hope is that God will use this to really confirm or encourage you in your engagement of your community. Um, each of us in each of our cities are different. Each of us face a different conversation within our local context. And this morning, as, as I invite these leaders up, and you guys can go ahead and come up, um, each will share for five minutes, and we practiced this week, and some of them, were, some of them nailed it. Uh, but what, what, they're gonna, what you're gonna see as they come up is that when we, when we get up and go out, when we go out into the mystery to see what God is doing, to discover his power, his presence, and his purpose, our churches can join him in it. So, here they come. We may need one. We got it. Oh, gotcha. I'm going to go ahead and give this to you. Yeah, that's for you, Esther. And then we'll put Alan next to you. That's right, right there. I'm going to stand. Great. I suddenly ran out of hands. Okay. I'm going to give you some context, and then I'll introduce each of these guys. This is a pretty star-studded panel and people that we really, really love. Uh, we are in Gwinnett County as a, as a focused area, which is maybe 20 minutes up 85, which is the highway we're close to. Gwinnett County in 1970 was 70,000 white people. Uh, and now it's 900,000 people speaking over 100 languages. And in 40 years, in 2040, excuse me, we'll have 400,000 more people. So it's extremely diverse. And I wanted to start this morning by welcoming and introducing my friend Esther Yi. And Esther is a graduate from Fuller Theological Seminary. 
She was a youth minister in California for many years and has been out here uh, and came to Gwinnett County with her husband, who's a wonderful man, and her two wonderful sons. So I just wanted to start, Esther, by asking a question that I wrote down, which is this. Um, to get us started, could you share with us what you see Korean young people are facing in Gwinnett County? All right. Okay. Thank you, Jamie, for having me here. It's such a great honor to be invited in this great conference. Um, yeah, getting back to that um, question about Korean-American young people in you know, Atlanta, greater Atlanta, the most highlighted part is that they have to carry extra burdens as children of immigrant parents who came to the U.S. pursuing the American dream. Because academics is the number one value in Korean culture, Basically, Korean-American young people carry an enormous amount of pressure that they have to go to grade at school academically, and most of their dreams are getting into the best college to make their parents proud. There are a lot of church goers among Koreans. However, not many Korean parents go to ch church in a genuine relationship with Christ because an immigrant church plays a role of community center and social service agency. Therefore, in the immigrant Korean church, it's so hard to only focus on the gospel of the kingdom and just only genuine relationship with Jesus. Because Korean American young people live under this pressure for high achievement and performances. Although it varies in each family, letting them live out the gospel is not easy. First of all, um, soaking into the true identity in Christ is extra hard for them to grasp. It's no wonder because their identity is so deeply rooted and tangled up with their achievement and performances. So it's almost impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit that they are able to realize that they are so valuable to the point that they cost the life of Jesus regardless of their achievement or performances. And the kingdom values lack in their lives due to endless comparisons and competitions. They suffer from low self-esteem with lots of shame and self-condemnation, which I used to struggle with a lot too. In my ministry, my major part has been freeing these young people from these lies by the truth of God and also helping them discover their identities only in Christ um, through the word of God, prayer, and counseling. And one other thing for Korean young people is that they live very isolated lacking resources for experiencing the life of the kingdom of God. In that sense, Voidable has been a huge blessing to me and my family as well as to my youth group to taste and see what it means to live out the kingdom life and kingdom culture in our real lives. Last thing that I want to mention is that the relationship between the parents and children in immigrant Korean families in crisis. Um, due to the language barrier and cultural difference. As youth pastor, one of my main roles is to be the bridge between the parents and the children. Malachi 4.6 has been my ministry theme, which says, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. The reality of Korean young people that I've described sounds very depressing, but I want to wrap up with a hopeful comment. Korean young people are very gifted, and talented in many ways. They have inherited this wonderful spiritual legacy of deep prayer life, understanding the scriptures, the heart of servant, and many spiritual gifts. 
I truly believe they can be great kingdom workers if they encounter this wonderful Jesus and get discipled by the Holy Spirit. Even in this very complicated reality of Korean young people, I have met many um, who treasure Jesus dearly and live their lives to manifest the kingdom of God in their calling. And also I have many friends who fervently pray and work to fill this gap of true kingdom culture and value in Korean Christian um, culture as watchmen and diligently work to bring the true revival of God's kingdom to Korean young people. We are dreaming in faith of being a new wineskin that can contain new wine, which is only possible not by our mind nor strength, but by the power of the Spirit and His wisdom. So I wrap up this sharing with great hope and excitement for the revival of Korean young people in Atlanta. Thank you. I think you can see why we love Esther. She's pretty dynamic and fun to be with. Whenever she shows up, our whole office shuts down. Everybody comes around, so it's wonderful. Two of those things that you said that were so impactful that you don't think about is the academic pressure going on for those students. And then also, even Korean churches functioning as a community center where often the parents don't know Jesus, but the young people are thrown into a youth group. So by the way, Going in and supporting uh, Korean youth groups is a very easy way to reach a lot of young people and help them. Esther, thank you. Uh, next is Alan, Alan Hoskin, who is a Methodist minister. He works within the denomination in Gwinnett County in a very interesting way. He's a catalyst uh, in his very nature. Uh, and I've seen him, we've been in a lot of situations where we've both gotten very angry together in community <laughs> situations. But none of that. <laughs> But one of the things that Alan does so well is to mobilize churches out into the community. And so, Alan, I wanted to ask you if you would tell us the story of how an emergency email from an assistant principal um, mobilized the faith community in Lawrenceville, part of Gwinnett's, which is Gwinnett's County seat. Uh, it is a privilege to be here with you guys. I was recently reminded of a quote um, by Teresa of Avila that I want to read for you. It says, Christ has no body but yours. No hands, no feet on earth, but yours. Yours are the eyes with which he looks compassion on the world. Yours are the feet with which he walks to do good. Yours are the hands with which he blesses all the world. So this time last year, as a parent of a freshman student at Central Gwinnett High School, I received an email from the, the basically the staff, the administrative staff of the school, sharing about the current status, status of freshman students at Central Gwinnett High School. In the email, it basically stated that students in the freshman class, 55% of students in the freshman class were currently failing. So we're essentially at the midterm of the semester, and, and quite frankly, the faculty and staff were panicking because over 55% of freshman students were failing. There's a lot of indicators that your success as a freshman really plays a, a significant role in your success in later in high school and whether you're going to graduate. So you can understand they were panicking because of that. And so I had a relationship with, uh, with the principal. I reached out to him and just simply asked him, would it be helpful to you if we could pull together some community partners uh, to basically support and surround the school during this difficult and challenging season because of the pandemic? And he agreed that it would be really helpful. So we began to meet with community partners, meet with the leadership of the school, and begin to talk through the circumstances they were facing and possible solutions. 
And, and so they identified one specific outcome that they felt like could be most helpful to the freshman class. They would identify 25 of the most at-risk students who are freshmen, and then we would come alongside of those 25 students and see, are there ways that we could support them and their families to help them move from being freshmen to sophomore? I mean, it was just literally that simple and that specific. Can we help 25 of our most at-risk freshmen become sophomores? So we went into a strategic planning process, and out of that process, what really emerged were two strategies. And both of these strategies were rooted in the work that Boy With The Ball continues to do globally as well as in Gwinnett County. So the first was that we would implement the Velocity Mentoring Program at Central Gwinnett High School. These 25 students would be, would be invited to participate in that program. In addition to that, we were going to take Love Your City and do sort of the the, the diet version or the Coke Zero version of Love Your City. And so we had identified, um, of course, these 25 students, but what we, what we decided to do is could we build some kind of support around the family system itself? Um, could we build relationships with the families and support them as they try to support their student in the midst of such challenging and difficult times? And so that was gonna be our strategy. About every three weeks, we were gonna go visit families. And we reached out to our community partners and basically said, hey guys, this is what we're gonna be doing, both with Velocity and with our, with our Love Your City. I'm gonna just leave it as that. Uh, visits um, every three weeks, who wants to participate? And really the only response that we got, thank goodness, as me as a Methodist pastor, was a Methodist church in our community who basically said, we'll go, we'll go all in with you. Um, this for them was a giant leap outside of their comfort zone. This church has been a significant church in the community for years. It's launched multiple, multiple nonprofits. It's done a lot of community-based work, but much of it, quite frankly, is transactional. It's not place-based. It's not moving deeper into relationship and helping empower people to be the solution to their own, to their own problems. And so for them, this was a huge step of faith. Thankfully, we had the Boy With The Ball team that began to train them and actually served as, as team leaders of the teams that would go out. And so for the spring semester, every three weeks, we had multiple teams that would go visit the families of these students. And, and as you can imagine, these are complex, complicated situations. So the reality is that our goal of getting 25 students from freshmen to sophomores it was a difficult goal to try to achieve under the circumstances. But we did see quite a few successes. We saw some heartbreak. But the most important thing that I saw take place was a church begin to realize the words of Teresa of Avila. And not just realize them in a transactional way, but to realize them in an incarnational way. And so they began to discover, and they're still living into the reality that our greatest witness is our withness. And so it's my hope for you that you would discover what this church has discovered, that your greatest witness is your witness. I told you these people were cool. and They're living up to the building. Thank you, Alan. That was great. It's a great honor to get to walk with Alan. He's succinct, and he's hard-hitting in meetings, and then he's laid his life down uh, for this kind of work. I'm going to move next to Jim Gomez. I do want to go ahead and tell you that not everybody will have five minutes. Those last four will speak as couples, so I know you were looking at your lunch plans. <laughs> Chris is going to actually come up and, and, and uh, hit the home run. Um, 
But Jen uh, is a businesswoman who got her MBA at Georgia State University a few years ago. She's also a member of Covenant Life Church and a member of the Boy of the Ball, our global team. Uh, Jen's life was changed as she encountered Jesus as we would walk out into the community. Actually, at the time, it was of the city's west side. Um, and so she is a really good person to, to share today. So Jen, how have you seen God transform a neighborhood in the Sarah Court community in the Norcross part of yeah. Gwinnett County? Thank you, Jamie. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you how it started, uh, little glimpses of where we are and kind of where we're headed. So it started with a team of people who had seen uh, the power of God move in their lives. Uh, my life was changing by being a part of this group. And it was a group of people that wanted to see Acts 2.42 be a reality. So you are living out the apostles' um, teachings. You are sharing everything in common. You are uh, praying and weaving in and out of each other's lives. Um, but something that's really important that's uh, part of that verse is that many were added to their number. And so that meant that we had to be outward facing. We couldn't just be about each other. Um, so in 2017, we went into the community in Norcross. Um, and it was probably the third community that we had visited. And so we drove in and there were these families kind of sitting out on their porches. So Jamie and I walked up to them and we started talking and it was immediately, they were welcoming and it was like a party. And uh, they, at some point, as they were telling what they thought of us, um, they said, you guys were different. There was something different about you and you were the group that we were waiting for. Um, and so we decided to stay there. How could you not? Um, and so those are things that Jesus did. He walked around neighborhoods. He said it was about loving your neighbor. Um, he said that it was about his kingdom at their doorstep. Uh, so we, came, we kept coming back week after week after week. Um, and so early on, we met this family. Um, Anna and I walked up to the apartment. And this mom came out, and she said, what do you guys do? And so we're like, well, we work with young people. We want to help them reach their dreams. And so she said, it's so wonderful that you're here. I have these four daughters who had uh, pretty significant experiences in middle school that really hurt them, but there was nothing that could heal them. Um, and so they were just in their rooms kind of on YouTube or they didn't know how to communicate. So she, um, she just started crying. And so they said, we could, could we pray for you? And she said, sure. And so tears were falling down her face. And so one day we met her um, middle daughter and she was pretty standoffish. She was like, why are you here? I don't want to really talk to you. Um, but it was the consistency that tore down her walls. Um, and then she's taken some pretty significant steps towards growth. So uh, she joined our youth group. And at the beginning, it was kind of spotty attendance. But then she is now part of this leadership group that is praying about what is what are each of us facing? But then where is the Lord taking us as a group? Um, and she's talking about being water baptized. And she um, used to come up to the office. She was doing digital learning last year, and so I used to pick her up at five in the morning, and we'd be together for like 10 minutes, uh, 10 hours together. And so you're talking about Disney movies, but then you're talking about what are you facing? What is the Lord saying? Um, and so we kind of discovered that she wanted to be a teacher when she grows up, and so we put her next to Pete and Rebecca, and they uh, started planning for this camp that they're going to talk to you about. So she wasn't just a participant of a program, but she started growing as a leader within it. Um, and over the summer, she met Jesus, and she said, there's a lot of darkness up here, but now there's light. Um, and she's praying for her family and for seeing healing uh, for their hearts, but also physically. So that's just one of the many stories that come out of Love Your City. It starts with a team, but because they love each other so deeply, it inspires other people to join. There's not a chance it's not an attractive gospel. Um, and that's what brought me around. It was a love that I hadn't seen before. Uh, so you start building this group, this kind of army that can go into a neighborhood and get to know as many people as we can. Um, 
And sometimes it sparks into these really amazing friendships that could then lead to discipleship relationships. But then you realize you can't just spend time with someone, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday. So you start grouping them by uh, they're facing similar things. So at Sarah Court, we have English classes. We have a young women's group. Uh, we have youth group and boys, girls groups, all kinds of developmental groups, which are really important because one, it gives a space for us to grow as leaders. Um, it gives a space for them to grow as leaders and it weaves neighbors one to another. Um, and so uh, it, then finally, it takes churches and businesses um, and other people to come together and see a community transformed. Um, so what we've seen is families starting to get to know him. And we are praying that there would be breakthrough and practical things. Sometimes they're facing really huge things with immigration or learning how to speak a new language or being in a new culture. But we are praying that families would turn to be with him and to walk with him. Um, and so that's the power of Love Your City. It's following his Holy Spirit to where he's already moving in a community and really being a witness of his power showing up in what could look like hopeless situations. Thank you, Jen. Uh, Joey and Molly Johnson are the youth pastors at Covenant Life Church. Both are on the Boy of the Ball team. And uh, Joey and Molly, I think, would you tell us the story of what's happened with three very different communities kind of coming together? Yes. I'll start, and Joey will wrap it up. But Joey and I joined the Covenant Life Youth team back in 2018 um, because our lives had really been changed um, by the Lord, and we were looking for a place to be in ministry together. And at the time, there were four young people, the number of young people at our church in that youth group, um, and our youth team was bigger than the youth group. But uh, it's hard to tell you how much Joey and I loved it and how much life we received from that youth group and from being a part of it. I remember Jamie used to come in and tell the youth group at the time that we would have 40 young people one day sitting in that room. Um, and I hoped with all of them that it was true. Um, at the same time, we as Boy of the Ball were out in communities and out in schools. And being alongside young people, being in the witness with them, we started to see that young people need Jesus like the rest of us. Um, and they needed youth groups. They needed a place to come together to talk about it. And so we raised the question, what if we had a youth group for Velocity of the, at the schools? What if we had a youth group for Sarah Court out in the community? And then we had CLC's youth group. And what if we could figure out how to rotate those teams together and, and have three youth groups? And it was as confusing as it sounds. <laughs> um, it, was, it was hard to understand how it could work. Early in 2019, um, we had an idea for this camp where young people would learn that mission isn't going overseas, mission is where you are. And so how could they learn how to live missionally in their cities? And we called it Camp Overcomers, it's three camps in one. So it's a youth camp where the young people during the day serve children's camps. So we had a children's camp at Covenant Life Church and we had a children's camp um, at Sarah Court. And the young people would staff it and run the camp. Um, Covenant Church of Mobile partnered with us. They were very brave in trying this out. And so it was Covenant Church of Mobile, Covenant Life Church's youth, and children, uh, young people from Sarah Court and Velocity. Um, I remember feeling and thinking three things as it started. I was nervous. Who knows what would happen? We were bringing together people from all over the place, from different backgrounds, from different cultures. Um, I was really hopeful. I was. I really wanted it to work. Um, I really wanted the Lord to do something with all of us and to change 
young lives and to meet us. And then we were just watching. At the end of the day, we just had to see what the Lord would do with us. Um, what we saw was incredible. Uh, there weren't four separate groups from different places, different cultures, different backgrounds. Young people are young people, and they all need Jesus, and they were facing this fight together, and they were together. They were unified, and they loved each other really, really real. <laughs> like, they just loved each other. Soon after the idea came, well, they loved each other. <laughs> they were all in the same room. They stayed in a camp together. They fought the same fight. What if we had three youth groups in one? What if we could bring Velocity and Sarah Court into Covenant Life Church's youth group? Uh, would the church open their doors to that? And the elders got together and decided that was what the Lord was saying, and that was where the Lord was leading us. And so we formed it. So quickly, our youth group tripled in size, <laughs> which was cool. Um, one of those original four young girls is now a leader um, in the youth group, and we had them over for dinner the other night, and we listed all the kids' names, now totaling about 40. And she said, I remember Jamie, and that he told us that this would happen. Um, I didn't believe it then, but it's pretty amazing now. Great job, Molly. Um, yeah, and then as we launched into it, in the beginning of it, we were now dealing with the fact that we had youth kids that were part of this youth group that were coming from all kinds of backgrounds. And so the beginning, we were just covering basics of who is Jesus, what is sin, what is crucifixion, why did he die for us? Um, one time we uh, stopped to pray in the middle of the meeting and everyone bowed their heads and one kid had never seen people pray before. He was like, what is happening? <laughs> I was like, uh-huh. Um, and then as we went into it, something magical started to happen. We started to see young people from each group start to grow. Um, actually, something started to happen where kids from different groups would grow, and then it would cause different kids to be like, oh my gosh, that kid's beating me. I got to catch up. Like, uh, and it would spur people to for, uh, forward in their faiths. Um, it became, as we launched into the intersect this intersectional group, uh, it also required a tremendous amount of faith. Uh, faith from each of the parents of the youth kids of our church, the, of what does it look like to send your kids to a youth group where there's this sort of external intermingling. Uh, faith that what was happening in this youth group was being led by Jesus um, and not by just some um, wacky idea. Um, and as we launched into it, we continued to see that he showed up. Um, though it wasn't beautiful or easy, we found that there were two things that were really important in this youth group success. One is that Jesus' kingdom culture had to be way more important than any of our personal cultures. Um, beyond any of how we do things or how we feel like things should happen, what he does and what he's doing um, surpasses all that and he'll uphold that and he'll vindicate it. Um, and then the second thing that we had to find is that the second any youth kid, any kid from any community came into our youth group, there was no longer these are our kids and those are those kids that are invited in. They were part of our church and they were part of our community and they were part of our group. Um, the Lord had given them to us to shepherd and to watch over. And in that, there was no division. Um, we're now two and a half years into this experiment, and we're uh, continually amazed by what the Lord's doing. This last year at Camp Overcomers, which was now the third year of Camp Overcomers, um, we had the Ohio group down this year. Um, we had 20 kids uh, from these communities that were scholarships in, and over half a dozen of them gave their lives to the Lord this summer. Um, 
The youth group that was originally just about four kids has now gone up to be around 40 kids. Um, and then as, ja as Jen and Molly have both noted, we launched a leadership committee that was three of these young people that we're really seeing that are growing in their face in this moment. Um, and one of them is this boy who's 17 years old and his dad hasn't ever really been around. And so him and his mom have raised his three younger siblings. We met him when he was 13 and he's 17 now. Uh, and we were looking over everything and we were praying over the youth group and he just stopped and he said, you know, Joey, this group has changed my life. Uh, he said this, uh, he said, the way I see it is that Jesus is a warm fire, and I was hardened for a while, but as I get closer, I find myself melting, and now I'm thinking, what does it look like to help the others get closer to this fire and see them melt as well? Thank you, Joey and Molly. It's a great story. Finally, Pete and Christine are home group leaders at Covenant Life Church. Uh, they're also team members with Boy the Ball. Pete is a French teacher and completed his master's in a, kind of a private school leadership program a few years ago. And he has, uh, with a great team, has built a literacy program designed in part by Dorothy Leal uh, in the Sarcourt community. So Pete and Christine, would you guys tell us about Read, Write, Delete? Yes, thank you. I'll do this in English just for the benefit of everyone here. Um, just kidding. All right, so uh, we realized quickly when we started to get to know people in the Sarah Court community um, that a lot of the young people were sort of at sea when it came to school. Uh, many of them had recently come to this country. English wasn't their first language. Uh, English wasn't spoken at home. So we started one-on-one -on -one tutoring. We'd go around to different houses and we'd sort of connect with the kids. Um, very quickly, we realized, though that was great, uh, it was a big fight and it probably wasn't gonna be enough. So as we were considering what we could do, um, we had this idea that could we um, target the summertime, which often is a time where you know kids are dropping off academically, particularly kids who aren't getting English at home. Could we like do a strike force in the summer to really provide a boost? Um, so we started this camp called Read, Write to Lead. Um, like Jamie said, it was helped uh, it, it was originally helped to begin in San Antonio with Dorothy Villal and some other people. Um, so we sort of adapted it. And we said, okay, this is great, uh, but we can't do it just ourselves with our tutoring team. So, and then miraculously, a church um, reached out to us and said, we have this youth camp every year. Um, so we have 50 young people. We're looking for sites to serve. And we said, we've got something for you. Um, we've got a bunch of kids and we're doing a camp. Um, so it sort of, that first year worked out miraculously. And then we expanded it from a week to three weeks. And we started to learn how to do some things. So sort of the secret sauce of Read, Write to Lead is you take people, um, you know, K through six, many of whom do not like school. But a lot of them don't like school because of language. Um, and so they've been sort of had it hammered into them that they can't do it. And so then they say, okay, I don't like this anymore. So one of the parts of the secret sauce is sort of not just seeing them as consumers of reading or receivers of education, but as actual creators too. So every kid uh, over the three-week camp uh, designs, uh, conceptualizes, drafts, writes, and illustrates a book. 
Um, so that's one of the key pieces that they're actually creators in the process. Um, so it's really cool at the end of the three weeks to see a kid who at the beginning wasn't sure he wanted to be there, um, wasn't sure he had anything to say, then like stand up on the last day with a big smile on his face sharing the book that he had written. Um, so that's a really cool part of the secret sauce. Um, the other part of the secret sauce for Read, Write to Lead is we wanted it to be a lot of fun. Um, so you know, it's not school, we're outside, it's during the summertime. Uh, what could we do that would get a kid to put down YouTube in their phone to come be with us? So we play a lot of games, we have a lot of energy, we do a lot of like language and word games, and then they're writing these stories, and we have some awesome um, teachers and volunteers from the community doing like story time. So this is like high intensity, high fun. And then the third piece of secret sauce was we've gotta like, bump the numbers to be one-to-one -to, -one to each young person. Um, but after the first two years, we had 70 young people coming. So how were we gonna be one-to-one -one with 70 young people? Uh, we're gonna need some help. We're gonna need uh, to see the power of God. Yeah, so it's, really, it's a really great place to be where what you need is just more of God and Holy Spirit power. Um, which is where we found ourselves at the beginning of this summer. And so um, we're like, Lord, like, um, we just, we need you to do something. And he did. We ended up with 199 volunteers over the course of those three weeks um, with 80 students this summer. Um, and it was amazing. Um, amazing because when you're in the kingdom of God, um, you have access to his power, and um, you just have to turn to him and say, Lord, like, hi, like, do something, use me, um, and live in obedience, and then, like, amazing things happen, which is what we saw. And so, um, in those volunteers, we had university students, we had several youth groups, and we had people from the business community who were coming on, on the clock, who, and then volunteering as business leaders, or, like, on their day off. It was amazing. Um, and so, it's really easy, I mean, Brother Charles talked about it last night, where you see something amazing happen, you experience Holy Spirit power to kind of hang your head on it, and that's like, that was amazing. Um, it's really easy to settle into that, and so um, right now what we're saying is, well, Lord, do it again. Um, and so we're looking at what would happen if it wasn't just three weeks, and if it wasn't just in the summer, and if it wasn't just this group of kids from this community. Um, but we're looking at the possibility of what if we start a school, um, a school that's focused around language learners um, and missional families who want to learn to love their neighbors. What if we were to weave um, these two communities together, a community um, that is often overlooked and um, struggles in school because they don't speak the language and they're one of many students. And so what if you were to take a committed group of these families and you were to put them in a space with families who, as a family, have decided we want to love our neighbors um, and we want to learn how, and we also want our kids to learn a second language. And you put them in a classroom together, and these students together from a community of English language learners and a community of English, English language speakers that are wanting to learn more of another language say, we want to learn to love each other. And so that's where we are right now. We're, we've turned to the Lord and we've said, Lord, use us, um, do something in this. Um, but what would happen if we had these 80 students and another group of 80 students that were to come together and put language aside and say, how do we be great neighbors?
Marcus, I'd like to ask you to be praying for Pete and Christine as they kind of conceptualize and walk into what it would be to launch a school. I know nobody in this room has ever launched a school, so it doesn't even resonate for you. But actually, that's the truth. There are a lot of people here who have been a part of that. They could use your prayers and your insight. Um, we're going to wrap up here. There will be a bathroom break, and then you'll come back after five minutes, and uh, Chris will speak. Um, but this is the thing that we would say to you. Uh, should you do all that? No. Um, should you listen to all that and be amazed by what the Lord's doing? Sure, but even more so encouraged to go out into his voice and your community. What's happening as you drive through it, so concerned by what you're listening to on NPR radio? You know, it's like, Lord, where are you? And he is right there. And so good questions, good friendships, getting out there to be a part of your community just opens the door to a mystery that will reveal the glory of God. Um, why don't you guys go use the restroom? Chris is going to come. He's promised to make sense of everything we said, and there will be an altar call. <laughs>